Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome again. Uh, my name's Tim, and it's good to be with you this morning. We're in a series of questions that Jesus asked. It's called The Q, is the name of our series. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels, and we've been looking at a few of them uh, together. I hope that uh, you've been enjoying this series. I sure have. Now, why does Jesus ask so many questions? You find early on that when he was in the temple, he was answering and asking questions, even at an early age. Why does Jesus do that? Why does he seem to keep asking questions, even asking questions on the cross? After his resurrection, what's the purpose of his questions? Well, his questions make me think, and they make, they make us learn. They make you look. And some of his questions can expose things as well as explain. We've looked at a few of those in, that, in this series. But one of the things I notice about the questions that Jesus asks is that some of them call me to a commitment. And today, that's what I want to look at. Today, I want to look at a question that I believe has caused a lot of discussion and a lot of debate amongst Christians. It's a question that calls us to a commitment to respond to difficult people in an exceptional way. Um, you know, you think about it. We deal with difficult people all the time. You're probably thinking of difficult people. And, they, and these difficult people that we run into, uh, it, they range from people that just maybe rub us the wrong way, their personality's kind of quirky, to full-blown enemies. Um, there's people that offend us, that hurt us, people we just don't seem to gel with. And uh, they're everywhere. And, and today it seems like in our culture today, there's a, there's a, a, a brewing attitude of things like bitterness and brutality, resentment, retaliation. Have you noticed that with COVID and the election? Things like jealousy and malice and hate. And it seems like we're getting more polarized as we're being apart more. We seem to be polarizing more. And uh, we call this today the cancel culture. We see this especially in social media. Uh, people expressing their views or, or maybe they share something. And at times the consequences can be brutal. Celebrities, political figures, athletes, you know, even, even uh, just everyday people run the risk of losing friendships, their job, or their influence and credibility over a tweet, over a post, over a comment. I mean, have you ever commented, maybe said something or posted something, and you've been canceled by someone? Maybe they've unfriended you, or maybe they've, they've just ignored you, or they come back with something really harsh. You know, Jesus was familiar with cancel culture. It's not new. It's, it's always been around. I mean, he was called a drunk. He was called a glutton, a liar. Some called him a lunatic. Some people said his friendships were kind of shady. You know, they noticed he hung out with everybody from crooks to call girls, and they rejected him for it. Look at this passage here in Mark 6. Here's an example I'm talking about. He's, spe he's speaking, and he's talking about his deity when someone comments, isn't he the carpenter? I mean, isn't he just a carpenter? Uh, have you ever had somebody say, well, what's he know? Does he have a, a degree? He don't know what he's talking about. It says, is he, it says here, is he a son of Mary? Isn't this the son of Mary? And we all know about Mary. I mean, several years ago, remember what she was claiming, that she got pregnant from God? 
And, and aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Judas, Simon? We know them. Doesn't he have brothers? Uh, look at his family. Don't he have sisters that live here? We know some of his sisters here. And the Bible says here, and so they rejected him. And so Jesus confronts this idea, this world, this ugly, harsh world, this brutal world sometimes we live in where people don't get along and they take it out on one another. And he shows us here what to do. And he shows us through a question how important it is. In Matthew chapter 5, well, let's read together. In chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 43 through 45, he says, You've heard that it was said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, you've heard this said in your community. And by the way, God never said this. God never said hate your enemy. So they've heard this somewhere else. It hasn't come from heaven. It's come from their world from their culture. And notice he says, but I say to you, he goes, I'm going to tell you what I think. You need to love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. And then here come the questions. He says, if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? He's asking, what do you really accomplish? I mean, what are going to be the results if you just love those who love you? He says, don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, and he's not talking about family members here as much as he's really talking about if you only greet your own people, people that you uh, are friends with, the people you like, the people that are like you. He goes, what more are you doing? In other words, what's so special about that? How does that stand out? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? And then he goes on to say in Luke 6, he says it this way, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn uh, to them the other also. He's not talking about somebody just slapping you, but slapping you with the back of their hand. He's talking about one of the most insulting things you can do as a Jew. He says, if someone slaps you on the, insults you like a slap on the face, turn them the other one. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it. Then he says this, do to others as you would have them do to you. And here are the questions again. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do, do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. Notice what he says here. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. See, Jesus didn't cancel people out when, he, when they disagreed with him, or they had a different view, or that he didn't like something about them. He continued to be kind to them. He continued to give them attention. 
And look, at, and look and what kind of attention he give? Well, he challenges us in this passage. Every disciple, every believer, he says. Then he says this. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Well, that's a pretty tall order, Jesus. I mean, did you practice this? Yes, he did. In Isaiah 53, the Bible said this about Jesus. He said, he tur we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. Uh, he was despised and we did not care. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. Jesus never retaliated. He never tried to get even with people. He didn't avoid people. He didn't, wasn't cold toward people that were different than him or he disagreed with. And so it's with a question that Jesus calls you and I if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, he calls mankind this, but he calls especially us as Christians and we as, as disciples. He calls us to a higher standard than the rest of the world who simply return good for good and evil for evil. He's calling you and I to an exceptional life that, does, that not only just loves those who love us, but we love those that hate us. Not only do we greet those that greet us, but we greet people that are rude that we speak to them with kindness and respect, and that we do good to people that do bad to us. He says in Matthew 5, he wraps it up this way uh, in Matthew 5, verse 48, Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so you also must be complete. He's saying, you, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to live differently than the rest of the world. The world's cruel. I want you to be kind. The world will cancel other people. The world will put people in different groups and have problems and everything from personality to quirks to outright out malice, but not you. You're going to be merciful. I need you to be this way. If anything good's going to happen, if anything rewarding's going to happen, if anything profitable anything more of what I want to see happen, if my will is going to be carried out, I need you to be this way in this cancel culture. And so from this, I, 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 this passage, I was looking it over and I got to thinking, what, what, how do I respond to this, the way things are? How do I respond to people that are different than me or they got some quirks or some things I don't like about them? And how do, how do, how do I respond to people that, that not only they're in the category of where they've got a weird personality or they're different than me, but they're just awful to me. They're mean. They want me to fail. They pray for my demise. They're an enemy. They oppose me. What do you do with people like that? How do you treat people like that? in a culture that just quickly unfriends, deletes, ignores, cancels people out. Well, here's, here's three things I'd like you to think about as you respond to your cancel culture here today. First, I respond by being wise with my words. Jesus talks about greeting people. He talks about blessing people that curse him, that curse you. He says, I want you to think about the word you say. You know, back in 2018, there was a 24-year-old major league pitcher by the name of John Hader. 
He was in his very first All-Star game. He was a relief pitcher for the Brewers. And as the game was progressing, they called him in in the eighth inning. And he's a closer. And so he comes in and he gives up a three-run homer. As he's walking off the mound, as they take him out of the game, he's walking off the mound, his phone in the dughouse starts to blow up. In fact, phones not only in the clubhouse are starting to blow up, people in the stands, their phones are blowing up. Something is being announced about John Hader. And it was about a tweet he made when he was 17 years old. He's 24 at this time. He made it as a teenager. And all these tweets come out. Everybody's, everybody's responding. He's got family members going, what is this? He's got fans taking their shirts and jerseys off with his name and number and turning them backwards. And as the Major League Baseball Association tried to get ahead of this story, they, tried, they got him out there apologizing, and he apologized many times saying, I was a dumb teenager. I said dumb stuff. You know, teenagers are still trying to figure out who they are. And, and, and some of the stuff I tweeted was just quotes from rap music I'd heard as a kid. But it didn't help. The damage was done. Have you ever thought about how many of your words are recorded? I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> Man, oh, there's a lot of words I wish it weren't recorded, things that I've said. I was reading this week that on an average week, for, the, for an American, you are on camera 238 times every week. Security cameras, traffic cameras, people just got their phones out. How many times have you watched something on social media and there's a fight going on and there's all these people with their phones out? Yeah, we're constantly being documented. And the thing is, once it's out there, it's out there forever. Bible says this, that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love to talk will have to eat their own words. Have you ever said something you wish you could take back? Have you ever said something you wish you could change? You know, whether you like it or not, the future, your future, my future, our future is affected by the words we use. And so Jesus warns us about that. He says this in Matthew 12, And I tell you that on Judgment Day, people will be responsible for every careless thing they have said. Oh boy. I can think of lots of words I'm going to have to explain to Jesus on Judgment Day. How about you? Now, things I've said years ago, last week, probably in this lesson, yeah, I, 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 when that happens, don't you ever ask yourself, you go, man, why is, what was I thinking? And the thing is, I wasn't thinking. And that's why these statements get out. And the Bible warns us not to get suckered into this culture, not to be fooled by it. Our culture's brutal, folks. This is a broken world. And you have to be careful with the words you speak. And, and again, I know maybe I'm not the guy to tell you this. But it's the truth. I have to be careful with the words I speak. We have to be careful. Not only the words that we say, but also the words that we hear. So before I post it, before I speak it, before I record it, before I respond, I need to think. I found a passage, and hopefully we'll get it on the PowerPoint. Uh, it says here in Ecclesiastes 7.21, 
Don't take everything that people say to heart. Your conscience knows that you've cursed others many times. I need to think, when I, even when I hear what people say, they may not really mean what they're saying, or it may be in a different context than I'm concluding. And I, and I need to consider, you know, I've said some foolish things, and not to be so brutal. And if I ever have trouble with words, period, I can just simply ask God to help me. It says here in Psalms 141, the psalmist said, Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me be careful about what I say. And I'd add to that, Lord, help me be careful with what I hear. So that's the first thing. I need to be wise with the words that I say, that I hear. Here's the second thing. That is, I promote God's mercy over malice. I, pro I promote mercy, God's mercy, over the world's malice. God's not malicious. The world can be. Am I right? Here in Luke 6, again, look what Jesus says. He says, but love your enemies. Now, he's not talking about hugging them and kissing them and treating them like your spouse. He's not talking about that kind of love between a man and a woman. He's not talking about the kind of love that we have uh, in family or brotherly love. He's talking about the kind of love that's agape love. That you love somebody. You may not like them, but you choose to love them anyway like God would. That you're thinking about what's best for them. You choose how to do good. He says here, do good to them. He says, but love your enemies and do good to them. I do good to them, for them, not for me. See, that's what, that's what the problem is with malice. It's really more about me than them. He says, then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. And look at here, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He picks a couple of types of people that we have a hard time loving and being kind to. That's ungrateful people and wicked people. I know you would agree the world's cruel, right? Yeah. There's no mercy. And if there's ever been a time, the world needs mercy. People that you know need God's mercy. You need God's mercy, am I right? Sure. And one of the things that the cancel culture reminds us is how quickly people draw these battle lines. It's like a cold war. And we shoot at one another behind our Facebook page or a complaint or a murmur or a criticism. We're not really... Listen, do I think Roseanne Barr needed to be account, held accountable for what she said? Absolutely. Um... You know, I think uh, sports figures and political figures need to be held accountable for, for what they say that are, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. I should be held accountable for what I say. But malice turns accountability, which is good, into something ugly. Because malice just attacks. And that's the thing that Jesus wants us, you and I to avoid. He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You give people what they need, not what they deserve, in other words. 
And the thing is, God wants you and I, He wants to express His mercy through you. How's that going? Because here's that question, see. What good is it? What do you accomplish? What credit is there if you just greet people or just love people that you like? How's, that, how's my mercy seen? It, and by the way, should I give mercy to my friends? Absolutely. But if you really want to display God's mercy, you don't display it with the best people in your life, but to the worst people in your life. That's when God, God's mercy really is, shines. And that's when the world sees it. You know, everybody knows that Jesus was merciful. Even the critics of Christianity will point out the hypocrisy in churches and in people who claim to follow Christ, but they're not very merciful. They're not very kind. Everybody knows how merciful Jesus was, in other words. And so, the mercy of God must be seen in the way we treat our enemies. It's seen best. How do I know that? Well, look, Jesus kind of kind of tries to explain this in Matthew 5 again. Look what he says here. Talked about God here. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good. He sends rain on both righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God gives mercy on both sides. Aren't you glad He does? Aren't you glad God showed you mercy when you were on... Remember when we were on the other side? When we disagreed with God, ignored God, disobeyed God? And what's God do? Does He zap us? No, He has mercy. Why? Why is He patient? Because He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so what's he, what's he do? He's patient with us. He gives us time. He works with us. He sends people into our life. I'm so glad he's merciful to me. I think Paul even said in view of God's mercy, he talked talk, talk about in view of God's mercy, how merciful God was to him. And, and God is saying, look, when you're, I want you to give my mercy to those who disagree with you who are different than you. Give people latitude that mistreat you or even hurt you. Here's what Paul said one time. He said, put up with one another. He's talking to Christians here now, not enemies here. He's talking about just us. Put up with one another. Forgive. Pardon any offenses against one another as the Lord has pardoned you. You see, the church needs to be the greatest example of God's mercy. We need to, we, we have to be that, that, that place where the world sees diversity, but great harmony. They see that we, that unlike the world, listen, listen to me, the world is filled with cowards. See, the world won't talk and face and work out differences. No, the world shoots behind rocks and complains and tries to undermine and destroy people they don't, have, they don't like or they don't see eye to eye with. Whereas Christians, we come and reason together and we work it out. And let me tell you, when you have the, the faith and courage to say, I'm going to work it out with my brother and sister in Christ, the world's gets to see God's mercy in action. And when you will treat someone who can't stand you with the love of God that you think 
of their rights over your own. Just like Jesus who gave up His rights to save mankind. And you lay down your rights and you, and you give, you think about this other person. You lift them up and try to help them be what God wants them to be. To someone who can't stand you. The mercy of God is displayed in such a powerful way. More is done. The reward is there. The good is done. But if we're just going to treat our friends and our buddies and that's it and we limit to there, what good is that? It's nothing special about that. And no one sees God clearly. That's what's really wrong with a lot of churches. We've become very judgmental and sectarian and unfriendly to people that are different than us. Jesus wasn't that way with people. He doesn't want you to be that way either. So God wants, so what is he saying this morning? He said, listen, I want you to, in your council culture, would you promote my mercy over your malice? Whenever you're tempted to get even, you're tempted to, man, I'm going to put them in their place. Think about where I'm wanting to put them. I'm wanting to get them out of darkness into my light. I want to get them out of the world and into heaven. So could you set aside your agenda for mine? Because if you do, great reward takes place. And then there's a third thing. And that is, I count on God to work in this cancel culture. I just trust God to work things out. I think Paul talks about this someplace. He talks about it. You might think differently right now. That's okay. God will help you figure it out. He's basically saying, you know what? I, I can't convince you, but God will help you figure that out. You know, the world is cruel to Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And, and He lives in a culture much like ours, in a culture, that, in a place that has a political system that is just messed up. Talk about the swamp. It's a superpower, but it's got problems. Is there social injustice? All over the place in the Roman Empire, there's social injustice. Disease? Are there pandemics during the time of Christ? Leprosy was, was awful during the time of Christ. They had no vaccines. There was all kinds of disease going on. And it's in the middle of all this. He comes into this cancel culture with all these problems, and they're giving it to him. They're calling him every name in the book. They have no time to listen to him. They're planning to kill him. And so what does Jesus do? Oh, I'll get even. Is that what he does? Does he think, oh man, I know what I'll do. I'll trip that guy up here. I'll get, get this. He doesn't do any of that. Here's what Peter saw. When Peter was with Jesus, he saw this in the life of Christ during the time he was on earth when he lived out his cancel culture. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, this is what Peter says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. He didn't come back with a, a snappy comeback or a sarcasm. He didn't come back with something mean. He didn't insult them. When he suffered, he made no threats. I want to tell you something. Jesus suffered on this earth. He suffered putting up with Difficult people, harsh people, mean people, rejected. 
ridiculed. And when those moments happened, when he suffered, he didn't make any threats. Even on the cross, if you remember on the cross, the criminals are threatening the crowd. I don't know what threats they could have made. Jesus doesn't do that. The Bible says like a lamb in the hands of a shearer, as he shears off the wool, he is silent. And when, do, when Jesus does say something, why, it isn't retaliation. You see, <laughs> it's tough living with mean people. It's tough living in a culture where people are difficult. We misunderstand one another. Because we're different, we, mis we disappoint each other. And so it, it hurts. We get hurt. And it sometimes might seem hopeless. And you might be one, you might say, man, I just want to get even. I just want to, I hope they get what they deserve. And I, I want you to know that Jesus is saying, that's not the way. That's not the way to live your life. You've got to keep, listen, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, you, especially you, you've got to keep believing in God's redemption. You've got to keep believing that God can change people and refuse to write them off. You see, I must believe that God can change people because if God can take someone like Peter, this fisherman, that denies Jesus three times, but he becomes a man who will die for Jesus. If God can take a guy like the Apostle Paul, who persecuted the church, historically, people believe that the Apostle Paul could have stopped the church, that his conversion was, was the major factor in the church's ability to survive and thrive. Here's a guy who was persecuting the church, sending people off to be executed, and what's he do? He becomes, everybody's writing him off. Even, I think, was it, uh, there's a guy, there's a guy, yeah, Ananias says, I've heard about this guy, he says in the book of Acts. He's a bad dude. And God says, yeah, well, he's changing. You're going to find him praying. You're going to find him at a guy's house praying. And you see this persecutor go from, go from being, hating Christ and hating his followers to promoting Christ and loving his followers. And there's, there's gobs of examples of people in the Bible that you think are lost cause and they're not to God. Everybody else may have written them off, but God hasn't written them off. He hasn't written you off. Aren't you glad? And if God can, listen, I, every time I think, I wonder if God can change somebody, all I have to think about is God's changing me. And if God can change me, and if He can change people like I've mentioned here in the Bible, then God can change my husband or my wife or my children or my parents. God can change a coworker. God, God can change my critics. God can change those that just get on my last nerve. And God can reach and change even my enemies. So I do my part. I don't just love people and treat people like everybody else does. That's not going to change anything, no. I rise to the occasion that God calls to us. says, I want you to love your enemy. I want you to do good to them, Tim.
I want you to be kind to those that are ungrateful and are wicked. That's hard. That's hard. This is not just a question of... It's a tough question, Jesus. I know it's tough, Tim. I know it's tough, church. But hey, I'll help you. You just leave it to me. You do your part and leave it to me. Ask for my help and I'll help you do this. Look what he says here in Matthew 5 again. Pray for those who harass you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's what he says to do. If you want to do something, you pray for them. You bring God into this and leave it up to God to change them. You be a servant. Let me use you. You may get hurt more. (laughs) You will get hurt more. If they killed Jesus, they could kill you. But I can change him if you'll surrender and be a servant like that. I look at Jesus. Did he model this? And I'm, I'm drawn to Luke 22 where it says, Jesus said, Father from the cross, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled his, for his clothes by throwing dice. Here the, the crowd's giving it to him. The soldiers are gambling his clothes. They're throwing dice. They're not even paying attention. And Jesus is going, Father, the criminals are giving it to him. Father, forgive them. Father, I'm bringing them to you. I'm praying for my enemies. I'm praying for those that hurt me. I'm praying for those that just are ignoring me. I'm praying for those that are rude to me. I'm praying for those that have slapped me with the back of their hand. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, I'll tell you, when I pray like that, my heart changes towards the enemies in my life. And I notice something else. They change. Some of these people change. God actually answers those prayers. I mean, a criminal went from insulting Jesus to calling out to him. That's change, huh? And a soldier, one minute throwing the dice saw the way Jesus died. What did he see? He saw the mercy of God. He saw Jesus laying down his rights, laying down his mouths, laying down his retaliation, laying down his hunger for revenge. He saw the way he died. It says, surely that's the Son of God. Huh? He changed. Because somebody modeled the mercy of God. Somebody didn't say, well, I'll just be kind to those who are kind to me. I'll just be nice to those who are kind. No, he didn't turn a cold shoulder. He didn't turn his head away. He gave his life for everyone. And he wants you and I to do the same. So let me ask you as we close. I know it's a tough question today we're looking at. And I know it's going to stir a lot of discussion. I want you to ask God to help you answer this question. Will I show mercy? Will I show mercy like Jesus? Will I be different than the world? And what will that difference look like? I mean, what is Jesus, ask yourself, what is Jesus calling me to do today in this crazy time? A lot of people on edge. How does he want me to deal with that? How, 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 how do I respond? How am I going to respond? How should I respond to those who disappoint me or hurt me or disturb me 
or dislike me. I mean, what is Jesus challenging me to do with these people? Because we have my, are you thinking about them right now? Yeah, they're there, aren't they? What do I do with these people, Lord? What would Jesus want me to do? I need to answer that question. Mull that in my mind. You know, I noticed, again, did you notice he says he gives the rain to the righteous, the unrighteous, you know, the sun, the, the good and the bad. Jesus is on both sides. Are you on both sides? I need to ask myself, am I truly on both sides? Because it's easy to show mercy to people I like, but do I show mercy on the other side? Am I on both sides? God is. God wants you to come to the other side, see? Who needs my mercy right now? Really needs it. And do my, does my prayer life, does it confirm that, that I believe God can change people? What do you think about those questions? Jesus asks questions to make us learn and look. He asks questions sometimes to, to reveal things and, ex, and expose things that we need to look at, you know. And sometimes he asks a question and calls us to a commitment. I know sometimes they're tough questions. But can I tell you, your answer is the most important part of that equation. How are you going to answer this question today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the mercy, for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy on me, Father. I need lots of mercy. We need lots of mercy. I know all of us are thinking that. You're just so merciful. And I say that that way because it's just so, it's not a human trait. It's, it's yours. And it's almost so holy. And it's so good. And Father, I pray that we pray that, that we'll, we'll somehow have more of your mercy. So much of it will push out our desire to attack somebody or get even with someone. It will push our malice right out. The world is so full of malice right now, Father. People are just... They're looking for the gotcha moments and it's just tearing relationships apart, friendships apart, marriages apart, families apart, companies apart, communities, churches. Oh God, fill us, our hearts, with your mercy. That when we say something or we hear something, that your mercy, your love, will saturate our words. The words we say, the words we hear. Father, help us, help us choose like you to be kind. Father, put on our heart right now that person. Who is it that we need to be giving mercy to right now? And give us the courage and give us the faith to express that mercy. 
Father, we pray for our country. We pray for our culture. Eh, what a mess. Heal our, heal our broken hearts, Father. Heal our spirit. Give us the spirit, your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to carry out the things that would reward, the things that would do more and, and, and create more good from heaven on earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.